You're listening to West Virginia Week, a regular podcast from West Virginia Public Broadcasting that looks back at the major stories of the week. We had another week of daily coverage from the West Virginia Legislature. State lawmakers considered bills on school discipline, gender identity, and air monitoring, sparking heated debate across the aisle. We'll revisit these conversations with some of the lawmakers helming these bills. Plus, we'll discuss a failed U.S. Senate bill that aimed to increase border security, a debt owed by one of Governor Jim Justice's companies, and ongoing medical difficulties facing the governor's bulldog, Baby Dog. I'm your host this week, Jack Walker. Let's jump right in with a few short news stories. Two of Governor Jim Justice's creditors have agreed to sell a helicopter to help settle a debt. Curtis Tate has more. Caroling Investments, a Caribbean company, and First Source Bank of South Bend, Indiana, have submitted a joint proposal to sell a helicopter owned by Bluestone Resources. Bluestone, which is one of Justice's numerous companies, did not participate in the agreement filed Friday in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Virginia. Bluestone owes Caroling about $10 million and sought the helicopter as a partial repayment. Bluestone and First Source tried unsuccessfully to convince a federal judge to stay in order for U.S. Marshals to seize the helicopter on Caroling's behalf. The agreement directs Bluestone to surrender the 2009 Bell helicopter to a third party, Healy X, of Colleyville, Texas, within 72 hours of the court's issuance of an initial sale order. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Senator Joe Manchin voiced disapproval of Senate Republicans for blocking a bill to strengthen border security. Manchin appeared visibly exasperated at a virtual news conference Thursday afternoon. He expressed frustration at Senate Republicans who blocked a bill investing in security at the U.S.-Mexico border. Manchin, like other Senate Democrats, said that Republicans voted against the bill to discredit President Joe Biden in advance of the presidential election. The bipartisan bill had been under discussion for several months. I'm just saying I had a chance to vote for something that I thought would help my country. Manchin also urged Biden to declare a national emergency over rapidly rising migration to the United States, primarily through its southern border. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Jack Walker in Shepherdstown. The House of Delegates held a public hearing Tuesday on a bill that would restrict trans West Virginians access to bathrooms, changing rooms, and locker rooms matching their gender. Brianna Heaney has more. Delegates and members of the public gathered to voice their opinion on House Bill 5243, a bill that defines who is considered female or male. One speaker in opposition to the bill was trans West Virginian Max Varney. They asked legislatures how their existence threatened somebody. I was born and raised in Mingo County. I was a barefoot holler child, and my soul resides in the mountains. I am not an offense to the public. I am not a threat to the public, nor is my existence offensive. Of the 27 speakers, seven spoke in favor of the bill. It is on second reading in the House of Delegates. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Student discipline continues to be an issue in West Virginia schools, and lawmakers continue to try and address the issue through legislation. Chris Schultz has more. A bill the legislature passed last year allows teachers to remove a disruptive student from grades 6 through 12 classrooms. But educators say more needs to be done. Tuesday morning, the Senate Education Committee discussed Senate Bill 614, which intends to expand the ability to remove disruptive students to the elementary level from kindergarten through sixth grade. 
Committee Chair Senator Amy Grady, a Republican from Mason County, is the bill's lead sponsor. She conceded that the bill was imperfect, but educators cannot put the needs of one disruptive student over those of the dozens of other children in the classroom. Is this a perfect bill? Absolutely not. But does it solve the problem of what teachers are bringing to me? Yes, they feel like it does. The bill now goes to the full Senate with the recommendation it pass. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. A bill moved through the Senate Health and Human Resources Committee on Thursday that would require medical professionals to educate someone granted an abortion in West Virginia about possible risks. Emily Rice has more. Abortion is banned in West Virginia with minimal exceptions for rape, incest, or to save a pregnant person's life. Senate Bill 352 requires physicians to offer those who are granted an abortion in West Virginia an ultrasound, the gestational age of the fetus or embryo, and possible risks associated with the procedure. Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, said the bill does not further restrict abortion in West Virginia. What this just does is ensure that women have informed decisions, information to make decisions if pursuing an abortion in the state of West Virginia under the limited circumstances in which we allow. The committee substitute for Senate Bill 352 modifying the Unborn Child Protection Act passed the committee without opposition. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Baby Dog, Governor Jim Justice's pet bulldog, will undergo two surgeries to address leg injuries. WVNS's Jessica Farish first reported that the governor commented on the impending surgeries Monday during an event at Midland Trails High School. He previously mentioned Baby Dog's injury to explain her absence from the announcement of LG Electronics' investment in the state at the start of the year. At the time, Justice said Baby Dog was injured due to her weight after jumping down from a chair. During his regular press briefing Wednesday afternoon, Justice acknowledged the procedures and asked for prayers. Baby Dog gained national attention as the mascot for the state's vaccination efforts during the COVID-19 pandemic. You're listening to West Virginia Week, a regular podcast from West Virginia Public Broadcasting that summarizes the top stories of the week. About 20,000 West Virginia children are homeschooled, with the number growing every day. Some in state education and in the legislature help champion school choice. Others worry about the quality of education and the safety of homeschooled children. For the legislature today, Randy Yowie sat down with Delegate Jeff Stevens, a Republican from Marshall County and a public school teacher, along with Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County and the chair of the Senate School Choice Committee. How is school homeschooling working? What are the positives there? What kind of graduation rates do we know about? How does it compare to public schooling? Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> so in terms of how does it work, um, so just like schools follow a curriculum, have books for the different subjects, homeschooling is exactly the same. So a parent chooses the curriculum they want their child to have for the different subjects. Oh good, he's coming. And, um, and they follow that book um, at their own pace. One of the advantages of homeschooling is that it can be very privatized and individualized to the actual student. So if a student goes faster, that's okay. If they go slower, that's okay too. Um, you set your own schedule and you follow your, you know, what the needs of your child is. And in terms of comparison to public schools, so in West Virginia, we have about 9% of the student population choosing homeschooling. Um, versus public school, private schools, and other options. 
And I can tell you that um, there is a very good graduation rate, but I don't think anyone really collects the exact information. In West Virginia, we entitle homeschool parents to go to college, go take advantage of all the programming that's allowed to public schools so they can participate in West Virginia Invest um, and go in a two-year institution, four-year institution, um, military. I can tell you I had one child who was interested in the military and I just had to submit the homeschool transcript to the military and that was accepted and of course um, you know they're very open to that flexibility thank goodness so uh, homeschoolers really it's 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 just another option and, and it's very busy around here. We have committee meetings. Uh, joining us as well is Delegate Jeff Stevens, who's an eighth grade teacher as yes. well. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. Sorry I'm late. I was in energy. <laughs> it went a little longer than I expected. There was only one bill, but it, I, we had a lot of discussions. So. We, we, we totally understand. We just started out by talking with uh, Senator Rucker as well about the positives of homeschooling. And, and it, it is a good option. It is an option that's available, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely an option. And I know uh, Senator Rucker homeschools herself, and we've got to know each other a little bit. We've got to meet and talk, and uh, we get along really well. And it is it is an option for our students in West Virginia, and I think it's a good option for, for, for some students uh, that we have. Let's break down, though, a little bit of the challenges that we hear some people mentioning. For example, uh, homeschoolers homeschool parents only need a high school education to teach and there's really no set curriculum for them to learn there's no training uh, I, I know sometimes uh, delegate you have a, con a concern about that yeah I did um, just because you know our teachers go through you know a four-year education process and then we have continuing education every year in our schools um, for different aspects it could be for mental health or it could be for for another topic uh, and then that college education um, comes back in your specific field uh, so those are some concerns that I would have uh, versus homeschooling uh, at, at any level because uh, I think it's all a specialty uh, whether it's elementary whether it's West Virginia studies that I teach or like a high school physics class um, I think specific trainings needed for you to be able to pass that information on to, to a student do you get concerned Senator Rucker about the quality of education without those variables so um, I can tell you, even though the requirement is a minimum of a high school diploma, obviously homeschool parents have all sorts of higher education. We have parents that have PhDs and masters and uh, college uh, graduation. But in terms of the quality education, I think the quality comes a lot from the attention that you give that student. So yes, obviously there's a lot of benefit you get from a um, an educator who's been professionally trained, just like I did. I went to college to become a teacher, took those courses. But what is, I think, more crucial in the learning process is that the child is supported in their learning and given the opportunity to um, explore at their level. And that's the kind of individualized learning that occurs in a homeschool setting that is almost impossible to duplicate in a classroom. More holistic. More holistic, more individualized, more personalized. So what you're lacking maybe in the degree and preparation of the educator, you kind of make up for the amount of time that you can give that child in that particular subject at the level that they're at. So I do think that obviously there can be homeschool parents who might not be able to um, teach every single subject to the expertise that an, you know, uh, a professionally trained teacher might, but 
thank goodness, there are so many options now. You can go online for re resources. You can enroll in dual enrollment in your two-year or four-year institution nearby. And you can take classes at the public school. So homeschoolers, if I don't want to teach chemistry, I can enroll my child in chemistry at the local high school. That was Senator Patricia Rucker and Delegate Jeff Stevens speaking with Randy Yowie for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that conversation, visit our website and tune into the legislature today every evening at 6 p.m. As of Tuesday, 90 bills had been introduced into the West Virginia legislature pertaining to elections. For the legislature today, reporter Brianna Heaney spoke with Delegate Josh Holstein, a Republican from Boone County, and Senator Jack Woodrum, a Republican from Summers County, in a noisy Capitol Rotunda studio to hear what some of these bills do. One topic that has been, there's multiple bills on, is rank choice voting. Rank choice is an electoral system in which voters can rank candidates by preference on their ballots. Um, they can rank them in descending order which candidates they prefer. Around 50 American voting juris jurisdictions have now moved to rank choice voting, including some municipalities in our neighboring state of Virginia. It's considered by proponents to be an alternative to kind of the binary of Republican versus Democrat um, and to take some of the toxicity out of partisan politics. There are multiple bills in the House and Senate to outlaw ranked choice, ranked choice voting, which to be clear is not currently used in any voting district in the state. Why is there a need for those laws now? Well, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to ranked choice voting, it's easy to manipulate the, the vote and to manipulate how people rank those choices. And then there's a, a lot of difficulty with it in that it takes a, math, a, a mathematical formula a lot of times to figure out where people uh, are, are ranked in that formula. It's uh, also a little bit problematic. Um, pardon the noise right there. But, but it's, it's a little bit problematic in the length of time that it uh, takes for poll workers uh, you know, to come up with the results of the election. So it could draw it out several days as opposed to having it the same night. Yeah, um, just to add to that, I think, I think it's important that voters um, know who uh, or the, what the results of their elections are in a timely manner. What we saw in the last couple election cycles in 2020 and 2022 across the country, it's been a lot of cases where it's the results of the election have, have trickled in day after day after day upon weeks in some states like California. Also, if you recall in uh, the state of Alaska where they uh, use ranked choice voting, that race wasn't called for several days after the election. Um, and the balance of power in our, um, you know, in our system of government in both the houses and the Senate, particularly nationally since the country's so evenly split, uh, can really be decided you know, on that one outcome, you know, on that one election's outcome. So I think it's crucial that voters know the results of their election and they have confidence in it because the longer that you prolong um, and you have, uh, you know, you prolong the, uh, the declared outcome, the more room there is for doubt and concern in a lot of folks' minds. And I think it's something that we, we as a country really need to address right now is confidence in our elections. What would you guys say to proponents of ranked choice voting who say, yeah, it takes longer, but it increases the swath of um, ideas and voices who can be considered 
and maybe even reduces polarization in the political spectrum. That, that who, what would you say about that trade-off, time versus polarization and a, a greater swath of choices? Sure. I, I would just say to that, just one quick thing to add is, um, you know, I don't think our voters should have to settle for second or third place. I think they should make the decision of the best candidate and that should be the outcome. Um, if it's in cases where, and I know ranked choice voting deals with this, where the winner is less than 50 percent, you know, it's still the plurality. Um, and I think that's how our system of government has, has, you know, long existed and should continue to do so. You know, initi initiating a new way of voting, that, that's going to be confusing to everybody involved. I don't think that does anything to restore confidence in, in voting and in the outcomes of election. So we've, we've come through an election cycle where there are you know, allegations of, that elections have been stolen, and we've had other elections that have been won by very small margins. So adding that other dimension into it, I, I think, is really going to send the country in the wrong direction. That was Senator Jack Woodrum and Delegate Josh Holstein speaking with Brianna Heaney about election laws that have been proposed for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that interview, visit our website, wvpublic.org. A bill defining what air monitoring systems can and can't be used in regulatory issues and in court has garnered some spirited and extended debate in the House of Delegates. Randy Yoey has the story. In a public hearing last week, 16 of the 18 people speaking opposed House Bill 5018. The title reads, To provide for oversight and authority governing community air monitoring programs. The bill would set federal standards for community air pollution monitoring data that helps define local air quality. House debate over several days this week centered on the bill stating that some air quality testing results, even if collected appropriately, could not be used for administrative penalties like fines or to bring lawsuits. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Montegalia County and an environmental consultant, was among several House Democrats who said this bill is fundamentally about people and fairness. It's about people in West Virginia who suffer the third highest rate of asthma of any state in the country. And it's about fairness regarding whether data that's been collected can be used by the DEP and in a separate portion of the bill in courts. Why is this bill coming up now? It's coming up now because there's more and more data being collected in communities. There's more data where people live, where people work, where people spend their time. The data that has been available previously has been collected by the companies that have the smokestacks. And the data has been collected at the stacks, perhaps at the fence line, but not where people live and breathe. Now, finally, we will have some data to demonstrate whether the air is clean or dirty where people live. That's why there's a push to prevent that data from even being considered. One portion forbids the data from being used by our Department of Environmental Protection for regulatory purposes. They testified in committee that they already have a process for vetting data and confirming data, any data that's submitted by a citizen. They'll take it seriously 
but they'll give it the weight that it deserves. The bill sponsor, Delegate Bob Fehrenbacher, a Republican from Wood County, said the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency only recognizes certain sanctioned air monitors, so regulators and the courts should do the same. First of all, the bill does not preclude or prevent the use of community air monitoring. Basically, it, it, it imposes some guidelines which are very consistent with EPA guidance on the types of sampling and analytical systems that are generally used. And so if the accuracy is not there or the instruments or the sampling systems are not consistent with EPA methods, then they should not be used for regulatory or frankly um, litigation purposes. However, Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County and a lawyer, opposed the bill. He says gives undue legal powers to the legislature that are constitutionally reserved for courtroom litigants. And we have got to trust our courts to be able to sift through the evidence, weigh the evidence, and make decisions at the courtroom level as to what's admissible and what's inadmissible. Not in here. That's not our role. Delegate J.B. Akers, a Republican from Kanawha County and also a lawyer, disagreed with Steele on legislative powers dealing with courtroom procedures. This body many years ago uh, has already governed what evidence courts may consider, such as by saying that confidential communications between a husband and wife uh, are not admissible in court, cannot be compelled by a court unless these spouses uh, waive that privilege. So this legislature, through a statutory process in the past, has already told the courts what they may may not consider as evidence. House Minority Leader Sean Hornbuckle, Democrat from Cabell County, said he wasn't a scientist or a lawyer and explained why he opposes the air monitoring bill in layman's terms. What we are about to do today, if you vote green for this bill, is to take power from people, take rights away from people. Your neighbors, my neighbors, everyone in the state, and put all the power into the corporations and the companies. That's what we're going to do here today. None of us came here to tread on our neighbors. This is a pro-pollution bill. What all of us in here should ought to be thinking about is how do we protect clean air? How do we protect, again, our neighbors? I would urge you all to stop about what you're about to do, protect the people, keep the rights and the power in their hands. After all the debate, House Bill 5018 passed the House on third reading, 76 to 19, and was sent to the Senate. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. That's it for West Virginia Week. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week. As always, you can see these stories and more at wvpublic.org. I'm Jack Walker.